Come and dream with me. Hello and welcome to What Do You Want to Watch? This is Germany's premium media podcast. Every fortnight we can get to talk about movies, TV and online content. Help you answer the question, am I really just a CGI character created for this podcast? No, I'm not a CGI character. Brett Goldstein, the actor who plays Roy Kent, is not a CGI character. Internet, what are you doing? I'm your host, Ashley Hobley, though. Joining me today, Dylan Blight. Can I just ask, was that a legit thing? Because I didn't look too much further into it other than seeing But were people legit, or was it just a meme? I don't know. I assume it starts like, with people being legit, and then it becomes a meme. Yeah, okay. Because I was like, are people really thinking that it's a CGI character? I mean... As the more I say it out loud, the more I'm like, yeah, pro- pe- pro- people probably do think it is. So, yeah. yeah, you know, the lack of emotion, I think, is what 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 gets people. But you know, people are really wrong with it. I saw people do like do like fake CGI effects, like mm. fake uh, models, like people in green screens pretending to be Rokant. It's pretty. I pretty mean, nice. with um, deep fake, I guess anyone can be Rokant. That's true. Yeah, although it was the best one was uh, Brad Goldstein addressing the controversy, but having like his the emoji face or whatever <laughs> on his camera, pretty great. All right, on this episode of What Do You Want to Watch, we'll be discussing what's our watch history, covering a little bit of news, giving some thumbs to trailers, and discussing this week's top three. Uh, but we'll kick things off with a bit of like self promotion. Uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is out in cinemas only now, which we'll get into later in the show. Me and Dylan have both watched it. We did a spoiler cast on over on all new Marvel cast, uh, the Explosion Network's Marvel MCU podcast. Uh, full spoilers through the pod, that, but uh, Dylan, do you want to give people your non-spoilery thoughts of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? It's really good. It doesn't feel like it's a Marvel movie for the most part, and then that's why it makes it so good. Not to say that Marvel movies can't be good Marvel movies, but often <laughs> it's just refreshing to have something that just feels like a generally good uh, fantasy movie, or in this case, sort of a martial arts fantasy movie. Um, I I was appreciating it more the other day. Someone did a Fred and was like, "Here's all the like the creature designs and like the." The, mm. the real history behind them and stuff. I don't know if you saw that one. I was like, oh, this is like kind of cool. Like how they, it was making the, was, a was lot more sense. Real thing. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. So there's a reason for all these, these, these things. And this isn't a spoiler. You can see some of these things in the trailer, by the way. So I'm not like spoiling anything. But um, the martial arts, is re- the fight scenes are surprisingly good in it. Uh, the characters are all fantastic. The actors are all really good. There's great chemistry between all of them. You want to see them all return for another movie from top to bottom. Uh, the villain is not your stereotypical Marvel villain where it's just like, oh, I want to rule the world because reasons. Like there's a reason behind what they're doing um, and why they're doing it. So th- that's obviously a thing I complain about with especially older Marvel movies. It's just the villains being sort of just, oh, take over the world, revenge, blah, 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 boring. Um, all that sort of <laughs> stuff. Um, the only, I think the only real negative I have, um, the more I thought about it, well, other than, sorry, I talked about the spoiler cast. There are some pacing issues sort of in the middle. I think there's like a 20-minute section where I say it should have just been like sort of sharpened, sh- sharpened up. 
but then I was rewatching Birds of Prey, not Birds of Prey, uh, Suicide Squad late last night, right? Because it dropped, you could, I just brought it you digitally it, so I could watch it. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think watching that so soon after Shang-Chi, I was like, it stands out how much more that movie was just actually shot on a location somewhere. Um, and I mean Suicide Squad over Shang-Chi. Because there's so many scenes in that where Suicide Squad looks weirdly more realistic and alive, even though it's got a shark walking around in it and stuff <laughs> like that. It's just, it has a very sort of lived in vibe to the way it's shot and stuff. And um, Marvel movies often just have that sort of plasticky thing to it. And that's, I think that's the other thing. It just stands out, especially when you get to the last area of that movie, Shang-Chi. It's like that area just doesn't feel as alive and like a real place and tangible as some other movies do. And yeah, I I think it's just something of having just watched that other movie. I'm not trying to say like DC is better than Marvel, but like comparing comic book movie to comic book movie, I think that was just one thing that sort of stood out to me. But I really do like it. Um, I gave it an eight on Tracked. I'd even give it an eight. And I'd be pushing towards an eight and a half. I don't know. But yeah, it's really, really good. And I did enjoy it. Uh, yeah, I really track too. <laughs> I really enjoyed it as well. I thought, you know, great new universal section of the MCU for us to explore going forward. Simulio, you know, uh, really great as the lead. Aquafina, good as the comic relief and kind of sidekick. Um, yeah, uh, Tony Lung, great villain. You know, um, definitely a more interesting villain than we've seen so far. But yeah, it's it. You need to see this for the action sequences and the fights, and you know that crazy third act. Um, yeah, somehow they made these ten rings work. Work. Yeah, made it <laughs> a viable thing. Uh, I like the way they kind of rewritten the canon of that Mandarin character and made it more realistic and up to date. Uh, yeah, and there's some fun cameos and like. Uh, comedic bits and that kind of thing but dude it might be a marvel movie but it definitely feels like one of the uh, like a crazy asian fantasy film with like uh you know a bit of martial arts stuff thrown in so uh yeah if you can see shang chi go see shang chi if not 45 days apparently after release it'll be on disney plus so uh i guess we'll wait and see and we'll get back to talking to shang chi later in the episode uh, the other one, we did a spoiler cast for The Witcher, uh, Nightmare of the Wolf, a prequels to The Witcher. Uh, Dylan, uh, which- yes, Netflix is The Witcher series. Netflix is The Witcher series. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's really good. It's um. I think it works a lot better if you're already invested in the. Witcher is season one, and you you're getting ready for season two because it's basically setting up um Geralt's uh teacher I guess or like the main the leader of sort of the witches or uh, which is a character we're going to meet in season two so this sort of just gives you the backstory of that character while also giving you the backstory of more of the the witcher universe and um how witches were perceived you know thousands of years prior to where the show is currently taking place and what their sort of heyday was like or the dwindling heyday was like and how we get to the the remaining, uh, I think it's like five witches or around that, whatever that, including Geralt, that are around 
that we'll be meeting. I think we're supposed to meet all of them in season two, like the the full Motley crew of his brothers or whatever you want to call them. So um, the animation's really good. Um, there's a lot of really cool fight scenes and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And um, you know, for meme, I another. Okay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. from the first form oh, it's a, yeah. it was a classic no, meme before the, the the Ragnarok memes took I over. mean Come it on. doesn't really work in audio form but uh, it needs a visual behind it okay uh, yeah I really enjoyed it as well um, I think very well animated uh, by Studio Mia great animation studio um, and yeah just filling in a portion of the Witcher mythology that kind of informs what we could potentially see in season two of the Witcher live action series, uh, sort of explaining why there aren't so many witches anymore and why the witches, you know, why they were needed and that kind of stuff. So I thought it was really interesting and hope to get more animated Witcher stuff in the future. Uh, good voice cast, you know, cool action sequences, um, stuff that they would have been very difficult to pull off. Um, in live action, so they kind of took full advantage of the of the format uh, when they're making this one. So, yeah, definitely check that out on Netflix. Um, all right, let's move on. Dylan, you checked out the Naya DaCosta directed Jordan Peele's Candyman. Now, Dylan, I don't know if you know this. Mm-hmm. It's not actually called Jordan Peele's Candyman. <laughs> I no, thought, it's I just thought, called Candyman. I thought it was called. Jordan Peele's Candyman, much in the way it's called Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas, because Jordan Peele's name was put in front of Candyman so much in the articles I was reading. But no, <laughs> it's just Candyman. It is just Candyman, which is surprising, yes. Even though I have still, even though the movie's out now, I'm still seeing people tweet about it and go, you know, like, you read these tweets and the only name they mention is Jordan Peele, and people rightfully in the comments are still being like... <laughs> Near the cost of directed this motherfucker. Like, why do we like? No offense to John Peel, but I yeah, mean, maybe we get into a stage where we we thank the writers for stuff now. Is that what's happening? <sighs> the meme. It's kind of like Candyman. We've we've kept this joke alive for so long that I feel like we've helped <laughs> sort of perpetuate the uh, the thing at this point. But um, so obviously, I was really really looking forward to this movie. I liked very much like the original movie. So I, I don't think I've mentioned this. So this probably doesn't mean anything to you because you don't like horror things. But um, growing up, I was a big Clive Barker. Um, do you know who Clive Barker is? Do you know who, he's a like the author. Yeah, horror writer and director. He's a, he's a horror. Yeah. Um, so like most famous for I guess Hellraiser. Yeah. Among many other things. You That's know, the, the guy with a bunch of pins in his face, right? That is the one. Um, not my personal favorite Clive Barker book, though, if anyone wants a bit of trivia. My favorite Clive Barker book is one called uh, Nightbreed or uh, Cabell. So, anyway, side change. So, I really liked Candyman when I was in high school and I went on this big Clive Barker thing. And I was definitely much more into Clive Barker stuff than I was uh, like Stephen King or whatever else. So, I was very keen for this. Um, I found it disappointing. Which I don't know if this is a hot take. I've seen there's been some sort of mixed yeah, reactions, I've seen I mixed guess. Reactions, yeah. Um I just think it gets lost. It it kind of gets lost with what it's trying to do. And it's I, I I gets I don't know, it just really doesn't 
come home with what it's trying to say. Like, it, it gets so focused. So the original movie, I guess, for better or worse, because there's these themes of, these themes at play in the movie, but they're sort of in the background, you can watch it, and a lot of people did, and just viewed it as a slasher film without any second thought. This one, the themes and focus on, um, you know, because the, the whole idea is basically a, it's like a evil black man handing out lollies to children, becomes a killer, candy man, blah, 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 blah. But then when you delve into it, it's like the who, what, where, why, and sort of like, you know, it delves into the myth and how, so, I don't really know. Anyway, it's a whole thing to get into, I guess, if you've never watched the movies. But the the thing with this one is it focuses, I guess, a bit too much on trying to land its themes that it kind of just gets lost as a movie and it just sort of goes from scene to scene trying to do something and it's never actually really scary and at times it even feels like it just has sort of kill scenes in it because it's like, oh, right, I'm a horror movie. I guess I, I, best I, best I guess I better kill some people. I lost my English there. I guess I better kill some people. Like, there's a scene that's in the trailer which you see all these girls standing in front of a mirror, like high school girls, like doing the whole Candyman, Candyman thing, which just feels really weird, like, when it's in the movie. It's like, there's no... We don't really ever meet those characters or talk to them. And that's, and that's not, like, a random scene that opens the movie, which usually makes sense in horror movies where you see, like, random characters get killed. It's just sort of, like, amongst what's happening, let's just have a bunch of girls get killed because, oh, yeah, that's right, it's like a Candyman horror movie. Um, Yaya Abdul-Mateen is really good. Um, he just gets... His character just starts out sort of annoying and, like... His performance is good, but I just couldn't really vibe with his character. And I don't know if it's sort of half the point because, like, he's this struggling artist who basically grabs onto this story early in the movie about Candyman. And then he's like, wants to create a story about the exploitation of the black man, but then he's like, sort of exploiting his own, like, exploiting the story, I guess, for his own art. Like, I don't know, there's like a whole. You can sort of peel back the onion like several times on what's happening. And I guess that's sort of the point of the film because there's like, there's like a lot of symbolism and stuff. And it's, I think it's all very obvious. Like none of it's really laid back or gives you much to think about. The movie sort of just lays it all out. Um, but it's just, it just doesn't land. Like I just feel like it goes from scene to scene and it's just not super engaging. I just never really felt like I was into the movie at all i wasn't bored this is the weirdest thing about the movie like i wasn't bored but i just constantly felt like i was waiting like i was on the precipice of being into the movie and that was the entire run like mm. if if you click play on a movie the first time and you get that feeling where you're like oh yeah like are we going somewhere and then eventually usually movies like do something within that first like act or whatever first 15 20 minutes even or sooner we're like cool i'm in but I felt like that for the entire movie. And then the credits were rolling. And I'm like, okay, you never really got me. Like, you constantly, like, <laughs> had me so close to getting, to taking a buy of this card or whatever and, like, being into this. But you just never really got there. And I think I fell further back. Like, the last third I just thought was really messy. And I, I didn't like it at all, um, the direction it sort of goes. But can't win them all. 
it's not bad. It's not a ter- it's not a bad movie. I just would say I was sort of let down after being excited for this one and like this potentially being one of the year's big horror movies, I guess, or genre films. So mm. um I was sort of let down. But that's just me. I know a lot of people are loving it, saying it's better than the original and whatever else. I'm in my two cents, obviously, I would say the original's still better. Even though this is a sequel, by the way, this isn't a remake, it is a sequel. It's done the whole Halloween thing where they just called it the same movie and it's a sequel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's been interesting to see the reactions online and uh people obviously being a bit divisive, but you know, different strikes for different folks and that kind of stuff, so yeah. Uh Candyman currently in cinemas. Probably coming to premium on video on demand soon. Uh I checked out the new series that's dropped on Disney Plus. Uh, only murders in the building. Uh, so this is a sounds like a Disney show. No, so it's a Hulu <laughs> series, set to be ten episodes, starring Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. Uh, it's about these three residents in a like New York apartment building, um, who come to realize uh, they all love the same true crime podcast. <laughs> um. After they get evacuated from their apartment building one night, um, unfortunately find out after bonding over this, their mutual love of this true crime podcast, which they're detailing theories and like what's actually happening. Uh, turns out someone in their apartment building has been murdered or as the police call it, suicide. Um, so these, this trio decides <laughs> they're going to start their own podcast. Uh, detailing their investigation into the their suspected murder of this uh, resident within the apartment building. Um, I'm really enjoying it so far. Obviously, you know, Steve Martin, uh, Martin Short obviously have a great lineage of work they've done together. Um, you know, they're really funny. Uh, you know, and Selena Gomez, she's a she's a solid upgrade for Chevy Chase at this point. Uh, <laughs> Not hard, to be honest. But... <laughs> uh, yeah, I think... Uh, you know, they're doing a good job of, like, keeping the laughs. Mixing the true crime elements of the story with the uh, comedy that they obviously want to bring to the story. Keeping the mystery going. Um, I think, a bit of a spoiler, but, you know, at the end of the first episode, it turns out that Selena Gomez's character knew the victim. It was like, they were childhood friends and that kind of thing. So, uh, but the others don't know that. And that's kind of like a running thing through. Uh, the first three episodes, which are now out, so I would definitely recommend checking out uh, "Only Murders in the Building," um, which is the title of the podcast. Because you know, here's the thing: there's a murder like outside the building. And they said we should do a spin-off podcast about that, and I said no, we should just focus on the one thing, like fools. <laughs> I was about to say, are you just watching this show, just think, like thinking about the meta podcast? I mean, it kind of. <laughs> This guy, you know, um, Martin Short's character buying all this equipment, like really expensive equipment, like over the top. Like, come on, you can just get like a small microphone and a laptop. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to get investors in the podcast, you know, crazy. These fools. Fools. Uh, Dylan, you finished watching the first season, I guess, of White Lotus. Uh, how did it all come together? Uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but um, yeah, I did 
I think people should watch this. This show is just, it's, it's, again, if you heard me talk about it last time, I really don't know how to pitch this show. It's just really good writing. It's really good acting. Um, and there's really a lot of time, like, so I finished watching the last episode and after knowing that a lot of people had problems with the finale, uh, the finale made me very angry, not because I think the show was bad, but because of decisions characters made, um, made me quite angry. I think that it's, it's good writing, but yeah, it's good writing, but it just makes you angry because you understand why the characters did what they did. And it kind of makes sense for the the point of the show and what the show is trying to say, but it still just makes you angry because you wish those characters hadn't made the decisions. Um, so as soon as I finished watching it, I Googled white Lotus. Cause I was just going to like see if there's a red thread or something to see people like if there's complaining or what people are saying. And the funniest thing to me was, you know how Google has those like three, four auto search, like sort of drop down top questions or whatever. Yes. If you type in something, the top one was, what is the point of White Lotus? Question mark. <laughs> so, to which I say, um, I don't really know. <laughs> the, the, I mean, it's just it's a, it's a show breaking down a certain c- class of people, I guess. Yeah, that's primarily the the idea. Um, but it's it's really good. It's definitely in my top TV shows of the year, for sure. It's on on that short list. I'm kind of. I don't know what they'll be doing for season two because originally it was a mini season, mini series or one off or whatever, limited series. And now they're doing it as a you know, anthology. Can so they I'm just like, be is new guests at the motel? No, I don't think that works. I think it has to be a completely different thing. Um, I just wonder if the, the, the continuing theme is just sort of rich horrible people or something similar to that, or they can change up the themes. Oh, or if it's just this. Or it's just um, Mike, whatever his name is, um, just having a TV show platform to do sort of limited run shows and he can kind of just do whatever he wants and or something like that. But yeah, it's definitely one of the best shows of the year, in my opinion. Ooh. High praise. All right. Uh, let's move into the mandatory Netflix segment of the show. Uh, so I checked out the new series on Netflix, The Chair. Uh, created by Amanda Peet and Annie Julia Wyman, uh, follows process- Professor Ji Yoon Kim, who's a newly appointed chair of the English department at Pembroke University, uh, and probably it pretty much follows the major uh, professors and that who work in that English department at the university, uh, starring uh, Sandra Oh as Jin Yoon Kim and Jade Duplass as her friend Bill Dobson, who was a previous chair, but who stepped down after his wife died, um, and is kind of struggling um, throughout this this season. Um, it's very short. It's only six episodes long. The episodes are like 20, 30 minutes. So really, it's pretty much a three-hour movie broken up into six parts. Um, yeah, I quite enjoyed it. I think they're, they're going for some bold themes around what it's like to teach in universities at the moment, uh, a big plot line throughout the season is uh, JJ Plus's character uh, is trying to teach the students about absurdism, and in the process decides to do a Hail Hitler sign, which is recorded and then 
memed and spread throughout the, the entire internet and then is certainly processed um and then you know kind of trying to explore the idea of how do you discuss some of these topics um but because of the show's length it doesn't really get to go too deep in that um and you know it, there's no <laughs> to be fair there's not much discussing with some of these kids i think it doesn't paint the students in the most flattering light you know they're very like one-sided and you know it, it definitely makes the teachers seem like they're the, the aggrieved party uh in most of the situations uh but yeah i enjoyed it i think uh sandra o's great lead and her chemistry with jay to is really good uh you know, he looks like he's having a good time you know a bit weird seeing him when you normally just see mark and all these things so um yeah great other supporting cast members uh particularly holland taylor who plays an aging professor um there's also like one of the first things is the the dean of the college tells sandra that she needs to make cuts uh especially all the older professors and like she spends most of the season trying to get these professors to like update their class loads and uh you know be a bit more <laughs> you know uh friendly uh, like student friendly and that kind of stuff so friendly you know uh appealing that's probably a better mm. word you know so so students actually want to come to their lectures about uh 18th century letters that Americans sent to each other, yeah, because that's the kind of stuff they study in English, apparently, over in America. So yeah, uh, the chair is an easy watch. Like I said, less than three hours, so uh, good time. Weird cameo in there as well from a certain celebrity as well. So yeah, all right. Uh, I also checked out Bob Ross: Happy Accidents, Betrayal and Greed. This is a documentary about obviously. The beloved painter, Twitch superstar, Bob Ross, uh, and kind of detailing his... his I forgot this was out, by the way. Like, yeah. I remember reading about this. I was like, oh, this is out. Yeah, it uh, details... You know, it definitely follows his uh, career and that kind of thing. Uh, exploring, like, the start of everything. Uh, start of his uh, series, The Joy of Painting. Uh, kind of a look into his uh, origins and that kind of thing, uh, but it also runs along kind of explaining uh, the the main crux of it is that the uh, company or the, the partner he had in Annette Kowalski uh, through the several years that they were doing showing of painting and that kind of thing kind of uh, took care of the business side uh, and then subsequently screwed Bob Ross over in death. Is pretty much the end point of the documentary. Uh, so even to the point where apparently, allegedly, uh, they were asking Bob Ross to sign over his name on his deathbed. Uh, something that, you know, uh, Bob Ross didn't want to do, uh, but they found a way. Uh, and now, you know, you probably shouldn't buy any of that Bob Ross incorporated merchandise or... Uh, or, or, or art, art supplies or any of that kind of stuff because it's all kind of tainted and, uh, yeah, not great, I think. Yeah, this is one you should definitely watch, even if it's just to get angry <laughs> at the kind of people behind it. 
Uh, I saw afterwards on Twitter, Bloodbrush Incorporated put out like a a message downplaying the documentary, saying it's all lies and they they weren't weren't. Uh, although they got asked to be interviewed, they didn't know Netflix was involved. Otherwise, they would have given more strongly worded statements and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's not a good. It's not very flattering for Bob Rock Inc. Bob Ross Inc. Uh, and it'll be interesting to, I guess, see if there's any further fallout in the coming weeks around that one. So, yeah. Otherwise, you know, it's a solid documentary. I don't think it's anything mind-blowing or revelatory, but, you know, Bob Ross obviously was an important person to a lot of people. Uh, so to kind of understand the person behind the memes and that kind of stuff, I think, as an Australian, uh, yeah, this was a good uh, documentary. So, yeah. Check that out on Netflix. Uh, How long is that, by the way? Sorry? Is it just a 90-minute one? or is Yeah, it... it's about 90 minutes, I think, mm. or so. So, yeah, it's not too long. Uh, last episode I talked about Untold, the Untold series. What was the first one? Is this the the sport thing? Yes. Yeah, whatever that's called. Yep. Untold something. Yeah. Stories. Tales. Yeah, I just can't, I'm just trying to remember what the first one. So the first one that I watched was Untold: Malice in the Palace, the one about the brawl in a basketball <laughs> uh, stadium. So this one that I watched was called Untold: Cra- Untold Crimes and Penalties. So it follows uh, a alleged mafia person uh, who bought a minor league hockey team. For his 17 year old son to manage uh, and the trials and tribulations of their one season in the uh, hockey competition uh, before he gets raided by the FBI and gets taken away to jail. Uh, and the team is the. What, what was it? I can't remember what the town is called, but the team's called the Thrashers because he does. He runs a trash distribution company. You know, so it's the trash, trashes. Got him. Got him. Um, yeah, and they pretty much set themselves up as being the bad boys of hockey um, by pretty much getting into massive fights every single match, um, pissing off the league and, you know, all this other stuff. Really interesting watch. Like, it's just the kind of a weird, like, story that <laughs> has no right to be... Uh, not no right to have actually happened and that kind of thing, like full like full on like cheating like the equipment manager doing like pretty shady shit like turning off the hot water for the opposition team and like not giving them enough towels when they come in and that kind of stuff. Uh, just, yeah, kind of interesting stuff. But it's weird that obviously this main guy has been convicted of massive crimes, but he's being treated like a hero through the entire documentary. Um. But yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Um, doesn't sound like a real thing, to be honest. But it doesn't. It doesn't sound like a real thing. So that's what makes it more interesting. <laughs> Even to the extent, apparently, this guy is who Tony Soprano was based off. So I don't know. From allegedly, that. allegedly, you know, because he did have maf- like actual mafia ties and that kind of stuff. Um. So yeah. Uh. I would, you know, definitely recommend this one. 
just because it is such a bizarre story and like uh they have people who were involved like fans of the team like still who still like hold fond memories of that team in their season they did really well this season i think they came like they got pretty close to winning the comp and that kind of thing so uh yeah pretty cr- interesting story was that caitlin jenner one out yeah no no yeah that one's out already i think that was like a couple of weeks ago so not really terribly interested in watching that one but uh just, just, I thought yeah. that was the the biggest one that everyone was. I think it's obviously, yeah, obviously the most high profile one. So, uh, yeah, again, untold, pretty good uh, series that Netflix has got going at the moment. Uh, Dylan, you checked out the Mitchells and the Machines. No, mi- you checked out the Mitchells, the Mitchells versus, versus the, the machines. machines. Uh, what do you think? Oh, how good is this movie? <laughs> Animated <laughs> movie of the year, right? I think so. I mean, what else is, uh, I mean, it's either that or Raya, I guess, is my... I mean, of... it's going to be Raya and Blooper, I would imagine. Yeah, Either. I mean, personally. Yeah, personally. <laughs> you know, Luke is not in my top two. Uh, yeah, this, that, that's your two. Uh, but yeah, it's really good. I, I think it just kind of, uh, uh, the last, the final act is like, it's okay, but like the... The majority of the, uh, the movie I enjoyed the most was the first, I guess, two thirds. Um, if I had to pick, like, why Raya would potentially win, it was probably because I didn't. I just thought the last act was kind of like eh, it was. It was fine. It wasn't bad. But, um, but yeah, if you don't know, if you haven't watched this movie, it's absolutely insane. It's got this fantastic cast of characters. It's it's really stylized um, and like not annoyingly. Like it just kind of works in the movie and the way they're trying to just portray it with the girl being a like filmmaker like sort of crazy indie filmmaker who's just making all these things with her pug it's pug right yeah um using a dog to make all these movies and the dad doesn't like understand it but everyone loves her and she's like um going off to film school but then all of a sudden these robots which is basically like apple break out and they begin like taking over the world or whatever so it's up to the mitchells to somehow stop it even though their family is completely dysfunctional <laughs> it's, um it's really really good um i had a great time watching this and um it'd been sitting on my watch list obviously obviously since it came out um i was gonna watch it before the end of the year so i'm glad i, I got that out of the way because yeah it's straight to the i did that thing where i like finished watching i'm like fuck that was good and i like rechecked imdb i was like what do you this came out this was this, this year right and i'm like see it says 2021 i'm like god good like that's straight onto the <laughs> that's straight onto the short list for best some one of the best movies i've watched this year and definitely one of the best animated ones i've watched here um a lot of fun really really enjoyed it awesome uh good to hear that you finally watched it and that you actually liked it yeah so, Why do you think I wouldn't like it? I don't know. I, I would, like, I was pretty confident, but, you know, part of me would have broken if you had liked it. I think. Nah, really good. <laughs> Be like, do I, do I know Dylan at all? <laughs> uh, to finish off, I watched the another documentary on Netflix going up, uh, available at the moment called Count Me In. It uh, is a documentary about drummers over, uh, you know, and kind of exploring, you know, what it what draws people into drumming uh kind of a short history of drumming within popular music uh have it, they've got a fair number of big name drummers like roger taylor from queen chad smith from roger Hed- chad smith from red hot chili peppers uh cindy blackman the 
drummer for Santana and Lenny Kravitz, Keith Moon, the drummer for The Who, um, Taylor Hawkins from Foo Fighters, a whole bunch of people kind of exp- talking about their passion for drumming and that kind of stuff. It's fine. It's like a pretty surface levelly documentary. Um, they like it's just some short stories from each individual. I don't know. It, it it's a t- perfectly watchable documentary, uh, but it, you could definitely like have it on in the background. Um, there's not much to it that you need to like pay attention to and that kind of thing. So, you know, if you like drumming, uh, certain people who are listening to this podcast maybe check it out. But other than that, you know, not a must watch. All right, You've sold everyone. I'm really glad I did. All right. <laughs> Uh, that's everything in our watch history. Uh, let's live, move into our film news segments. Uh, kick things off. Uh, Shang-Chi looks set to break box office records over in America. Uh, set to make, be the largest ever Labor Day weekend, um, box office, uh, with a projected, at time of recording, a projected 75 to $85 million over the four days, uh, with an estimated $67.8 million over the three-day weekend, which would make it the third-highest debut uh, this year, behind Black Widow's $80.3 million and F9's $70 million. Uh, Dylan, I don't think I asked you, how, what sort of size was your cinema when you went to see Shang-Chi? Um, maybe t- 20 people. <laughs> <laughs> so um that was the six o'clock one and might have been busier at the eight thirty one, but yeah it wasn't it wasn't compared to black widow which was to be fair we did go see it the wednesday previous that's true so that might affect it but yeah i remember black widow which didn't have a wednesday preview and it was just thursday opening night uh that movie that was sold out no we went to wednesday previous of black widow was it? Yeah, because we recorded well? Wednesday night. Okay, then, yeah, that one was sold out. And that was a 6.30 showing as well. So, to compare, if that that was... Because we recorded that... Yeah, it definitely wasn't 8.30. We with something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it definitely wasn't 8.30 as we was recording a podcast at, like, 1am by the time we got done. But, yeah. so, if that was a 6.30 one, this was a 6.30 one, at least in little old Lonnie, um, Black Which Widow is- was the winner. <laughs> That's where we... Gauge everything. Uh, yeah, yeah, mine was not full, but you know there was a fair number of people. Like, I'd say maybe more than half full, a reasonably large VMAX cinema. Yeah, which is pretty good. I thought. Uh, do you think this is those numbers? Obviously, it's hard to say because Labor Day weekend is not a pro, a well-known uh, money earner over in America. But you know, eighty million dollars over the weekend for. A, well, $63 million over the three-day weekends, third highest opening weekend of the year. Does What does that tell us, in your opinion? Oh, it's just been really surprising, I guess, that everyone thought it was sort of going to bomb, and I think a lot of people were hoping it would bomb to prove Disney, to show Disney that they need to put it on Disney+, Plus um, for the people who... And it's, a, it's a weird thing, because... Like hmm. I get, I get, I get caught in a weird position with a lot of these arguments about the cinema versus Disney Plus thing because I'm like half half Australia's in lockdown and I don't want people in New South Wales going to the cinema. But 
I'm like, I want them to see the movie. Like, and then also, you know, of course, the same Victoria um, and um, wait, what the fuck else is locked down fully at the moment? New Zealand, parts maybe. Yeah, New Zealand, I guess. So, but I mean, like for example, Aaron Kieran Marchant um, couldn't go see the movie because um, Victoria's still locked down; he can't go see it. So, I wished he could have watched it, but at the same time, I'm glad that people are going to watch it where they can. I, I, it's like it's a weird thing. I'm like, don't go watch it in certain places, but in other places, I'm glad people are watching it. To prove that cinema is still there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just a yeah, weird... Yeah, it is this really weird situation. I think people who have been able to go see it are kind of in. Like, I saw, like, someone put, like, out a call to Disney the other day to put it on Disney Plus because half the country's in lockdown. I'm like, I do want you to see the movie, but also I want to preserve <laughs> the cinema experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um... Yeah, it's kind of this weird spot for cinema lovers, um, you know, because you know, I've s- <laughs> I saw someone uh, all sorts of reactions, but someone like pretty much saying I'd much prefer if all movies were day and date because I have uh, crippling anxiety and can't go into the cinemas, and it's like I is releasing, you know, in cinemas exclusionary to a certain extent. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it just kind of raises a whole bunch of difficult questions, but then we also don't want to lose the cinema industry, which is, uh, you know, currently hanging on by a thread <laughs> all over the world. And it's like the thing that's kind of held up movies for the last you know, century and a bit. So, um, yeah. I mean, I see all these things, like, even I watch the, you know, you see, like, Patty Jenkins going on about all oh, these movies, all that, and everyone getting upset about that. Which, I watch you the, know, you should read her full interview before you know. Well, it's but, always just the headlines yeah, that people of course, cut out, yeah. and then they get angry about it. And then I watch the Dune press conference uh, thing from Venice. It was Venice? It was Venice, yes. Yeah, I watched that the other day because they actually just streamed that, and I watched the one later for um, whatever that Christian Stewart movie is. I watched that one as Spencer. well. Spencer, I watched both those. Um, anyway, the D- Denis Villeneuve's up there, you know, and of course he's like Dune cinema. Like I understand it's hard times. Like he made he said all the right things, but you can tell he's like, you watch watch my movie in the cinema, please. And then all these reviews start coming out and all that. I haven't, I've just read the headlines. I haven't actually read any of the reviews because I kind of just want to go in as blind as I can, I guess. But like all the, yeah, all the Twitter headline, you know, whatever for the tweets with people's reviews, good or bad. People are like, this movie's a monster on the screen. And like, it's one of the, all the really positive reviews I've seen. The headlines of people saying really outlandish things like this is the most invested I've been in watching like getting just mm. lost in a cinema screen since like watching Star Wars for the first time like really like all right you want to go that far kind of you know like, like that sort of stuff but maybe you've but, been deprived of movies on a big screen yeah, for, a while. <laughs> for, for a while yeah but like I'm reading stuff like that and as someone who likes going to cinema like that sort of stuff I don't know if they're full of shit or not but that does make me go oh boy I can't wait to watch Dune. Whereas if 
I just, I know it's weird. We have this conversation all the time because I'm like, I just don't, I want to fence it to a degree because I don't, sometimes I feel like the director's saying stuff about going to cinema or like you're ruining our movies by letting people watch them at home. I'm like, if people want to watch them at home or like it helps more people watch a movie at home, then I'm all for making that an option and it just has to cost a premium to help keep the movie business a kick in and make and help keep the theaters happy with the production companies and with the you know whatever else so everyone's like getting their money and shaking hands and being happy but at the end of the day i'm still just going to be on the side going movies are better in the cinema like and nine ninety percent of movies are going to be better in the cinema not to say old movies like there are certainly movies i watch where i'm like could have watched that at home wouldn't have made a difference like that wasn't really a big screen movie but most of the time I want to watch movies in the cinema. That's just how I fall. So am I happy Shang-Chi's doing well in the cinema? Yes. Am I happy I watched it in cinema? Fuck yes. It was awesome on the big screen. Great soundtrack. Awesome fight scenes. Why the fuck would I want to watch that at home? I got a nice TV. I have nothing against my TV. <laughs> you know? I quite enjoy my Sony television set. It looks really nice with 4K movies. I ain't a cinema. I ain't no fight. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely an interesting one. Uh, okay, because it, it again, it's a certain to a certain degree, it's a question about choice, and like, do you give people the option to watch it at home, day and date, with the cinema, the the film in cinemas? Um, obviously, you know, we saw, we assume Black Widow underperformed because it was available on Disney Plus, uh, to buy, um. I feel like Disney is the only company at the moment is kind of like trying a few different things to find out what is the best strategy going forward. Obviously, they've gone uh, with Shang-Chi and uh, Free Guy. Cinema-only release. Uh, they've both done very well <laughs> uh, in cinemas um, during the rockier part, especially compared to Black Widow. I feel like, obviously... Uh, the number of COVID cases is much worse now than it was when Black Widow came out. Uh, although, on the other hand, I just saw you know America celebrate because they had it like a best, a massive college football game where it seemed to be the entire stadium was packed out. So I don't know how seriously they're taking it. And uh, <laughs> you know, it seems to be a lot of mixed messages when you know you can't go into a cinema uh, for fear of COVID. You can go into this massive stadium. Uh, even well, though- I mean, even like. Watch AEW, right? Wrestling stuff and whatever else. Mm. And you know, all the wrestlers, apparently, all the wrestlers have to be fully vaccinated, and that's just how they're doing it. And they're like, I guess, ch- supposedly checking fans or whatever. And then some places they've got this rule where, like, to get in, you have to have had at least one of your shots, or like, some people, I don't know, it's just very confusing. But then also, America has this stat where they're at, they're at what, like, I don't know, above. Somewhere above 50% entire country is vaccinated or some shit, aren't they? I can't remember what the exact number is, but that's why they, they've they got, they've reached a number where they started trying to kick things back off and then now you've got the Delta variant or whatever. It's just very confusing. Yeah, it's definitely a weird one, but yeah. Um, you know, I guess you've got to continue to do what makes you comfortable, you know, but you can't fault these companies for wanting to make money and like not showing it to the most amount of people that I possibly can. Um, I'm sure a certain amount of 
you know, exclusivity is a certain has a certain cachet to it, you know. And that's why a lot of these movies make a lot of money on the first weekend because like you can only see it in a cinema. That's how Endgame made so much money, how Avatar made so much money and that kind of thing. So um I don't think cinema chains want to give up to the, that exclusivity. Um and the studios probably don't want to give up that exclusivity. But you know, I guess we'll see going forward, especially once, you know, if things ever get back to normal. <laughs> That's kind of a weird one. Uh I guess kind of on the tail of COVID, uh, we've saw, like we, I said last episode, uh, we did see a lot of delays of films here in Australia. Uh, of course, films like Jackass Forever and Top Gun got pushed to next year um, and a lot of things. But uh, I want to mention, obviously, we have Dune that is going to be released here sometime in December, uh, but it's currently still slated to release October in America. Uh, and No Time to Die is at release here in Australia. Uh, I think November sometime, but it's still, you know, releasing uh, over in America in October. Does stagnated uh, releases of big box office movies work anymore? No. Everyone's just going to pop. So this is, I think I've talked about this previously like last time episode or whatever but here's what happens and here's why i just think it's dumb so they don't want to release these movies into cinemas because half of australia new south wales victoria wherever else new zealand at the moment the biggest lockdown places i'm counting new zealand as part of the australian conversation um Most people but do. they yeah <laughs> um they don't they don't want to release movies here because they can't go see them in the cinema understand these are big parts of the country like the biggest cinema going cities you know in the country between sydney and melbourne it's like okay i get it the problem is and there's no way around this is that they'll delay these movies by by a month a couple months whatever by the time they release them in australia everyone in lockdown maybe not everyone but i would say a majority of those people in lockdown go fuck it and they pirate it and they will watch it. And I that and then you're losing money anyway because some of those people may have happily gone to watch it in the cinema. Don't care anymore, they say in the movie. Moving on. What's next? Give me a new movie. You know, like they watch Dune now. So Dune was coming out next week and they delayed it until like November or December or some shit. It's out next week in America. Someone up- uploads a pirate version, everyone watches it now, it comes out in November, we're out of lockdown by then, you know, knock wood cross fingers or whatever. Everyone goes I saw this bumps ago. Where's a new movie? I don't care anymore. So, in my opinion, as much as it's like kind of a, it sounds like I'm sort of shitting on people who can't watch the movies in these states or whatever, I just think that it's just put the movie out and then people who are going to pirate it are just going to pirate it anyway. Because if you don't put it out and then the people who can watch it in Australia will go watch it and can watch it and can support it in cinemas. Because if you don't do that, then the people, then just everyone pirates it. That's what I, that's just, I think that's just how it works. I don't, it sounds mean to say, because I'm like, well, the people who can't watch it, can't watch it. But, but like, it's nothing to do with them and me being like, I I deserve to watch it because I'm not locked down. It's just more like from a business point, I just think it's making some money over no money in my mind anyway. Or some money over less money. Yeah. 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 I, 
I tend to agree, I think, especially with his big box office films. Um, like, smaller stuff, like, of course, we'd love to have been able to see Peak and The Green Knight at some point earlier than now. Uh, but I don't think there is that same... I think, obviously, Australian audiences have been trained to wait for those smaller indie releases. Uh, and most people are, like, willing to wait. Or I have, living here, trust me. <laughs> Yeah, have you seen Minari? Pig, pig, limited, <laughs> pig, limited release. I'm like, yeah, limited, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think you know, but like the big, massive releases. Like I saw somebody tweet the other day, uh, because they couldn't go see Shang Chi, they just read the Wikipedia page and moved on. And like, how many other people are like that? They'll just they'll just find out what happens, so they you know. Yeah. They don't get well, spoiled like- and never watch, never buy buy a ticket version or yeah. rental. Because I just, it. I, it sounds like I'm overreacting or whatever to say this stuff, but it's like in this day and age where there's so much content and like, mm. and I hate to say content to cover everything, but I mean like between YouTube videos, fucking TikTok, movies, Netflix, like I just mean like anything you can sort of devour, add in video games or whatever else you want. People at home, Especially if they're stuck at home now, like they're just going to, if they can't watch it, they will fucking pirate it. They'll read Wikipedia page and they'll move on with their life to the next thing because there's always something else. Every single day, there's a new movie, there's new shows, new fucking YouTube fight. You know, there's like always something. So if you're not just, nah, you can't, you can't do that shit these days. I just don't think it works. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, I guess we'll see how the numbers pan out for. No Time to Die and Dune. Uh, I expect they'll probably still do reasonable to compared to. Uh, Doom was never going to do that great in cinema anyway, because just go look at Blade Runner 2049. But also it's releasing day and date with one <laughs> on, on HBO Max, which, you know, Dennis Villeneuve is probably still rolling over at sleepless nights every night, imagining people <laughs> watching it in their iPhone. You know? Just, you know, making fan vids of Zendaya. Uh, yeah. yeah, I guess that's just the world we live in at the moment. So, uh, you know, go see these movies when you can. And don't, don't read a Wikipedia synopsis of a film that you actually want to go watch. So, my side note: my brother does this, where he'll read the entire Wikipedia plot of a movie, and then based on if he likes the plot of the movie and the outcome, he'll then decide if he actually wants to watch the movie. Wow, what's it like living with a monster? <laughs> uh, it's why I never talk about him because I just don't consider him family. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, all right, let's touch on some other stuff. Uh, we've got some news on the Netflix uh, Guillermo del Toro uh, anthology series that's coming. It is set to be called Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. Uh, and as uh, they've come up with, some, they've announced some uh, talent involved, uh, people like Jennifer Kent, director of Babadook and the Nightingale, uh, David Pryor, director of Empty Man, uh, Gilmore Navarro, director of Godfather of Harlem and Narcos, uh, Keith Thomas, director of The Firestarter, no, Firestarter and Vigil, Pedos Costamotis. Uh, who directed Bandy, Catherine Hardwick, director of 13 Lords of 
Doctor and Twilight, Vincenzo Natale in the tall gra- from in the tall grass blast cube Hannibal, and Anna Lily Amnapore, director of A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, Mona Lisa in the Blood 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 Moon, and The Bad Batch. Uh, named as directors of this uh, anthology series with actors like Etsy Davis, Andrew Lincoln, F. Murray Ab- Abraham, uh, Tim Blake Nelson, Crispin Glover, Ben Barnes, Peter Weller. Uh, uh, yeah. Did you see the news around this one? Are you excited for the Kimura Del Toro anthology series? Yeah, I'm excited for Gilmero Del Toro anthology series. That's a sentence that makes me excited for things. Um, all the people involved are people I like. I've, a bunch of those movies and directors I'm fans of. So I'm keen, obviously, to check it out. These antholo- The best thing about these anthology series is you can watch a couple episodes and you quickly find out if they're... like Even if one's shit and the next two are really good, you're like, cool, we've got something happening here. Some of these anthology things you watch and it's like every episode's sort of average. You're like, mm, whatever, like no point. Or if they're all bad, whatever. You know, I could take hit and miss in anthologies. I can't take all misses. But with the talent involved, I expect to be good, at least something. But I like anthology stuff. It just gives... Especially when they're high sort of... It gives people who mostly movie directors or whatever just a chance to play around with a sort of smaller budget and time frame to do something that they just wouldn't be able to do in a, a bigger scale or wouldn't want to do on a bigger scale, I guess. So it's always fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, we're, we're having kind of this anthology series renaissance in the last couple of years. It seems like every genre getting its own anthology style uh, series, probably on the back of American Horror Story kind of within anthology seasons. Uh, but yeah, I think it makes sense to have like Gilmore Del Toro kind of producing this, overseeing this uh, series of uh, episodes. Uh, and yeah, the talent involves uh, really cool. Like uh, obviously horror stuff is not my thing, but I like a lot of those names I would recognize and like, like, Oh cool. That's a, it, that's a cool person to have involved in your, your netflix projects it's like yeah i think uh i'll say the number one name there jennifer kent yeah well just consistently gonna support her and whatever she's doing because obviously shout out to australia but then also um it's just really good to see someone like her who's done went from like a really weird horror movie with the babadook um, yep. That was received really well, even though on paper you wouldn't have guessed that movie would have got as popular as it did. Um, and then The Nightingale, which is um, horrific, a really horrific but well-made movie and it's hard to watch, but she sort of stuck to what she wanted to do with that movie. Like, I'm just going to... I'm happy to see her going from that to working with Guillermo del Toro on a anthology series. And that, like, that's really cool. So, Yeah, definitely. So uh, look forward to that. I think it's releasing late this year uh otherwise early sometime next year so look forward to that uh and then we got confirmation that dc fandom is coming back for another year um and we're set to get trailers for uh batman uh and some behind the scenes stuff for the flash and no sneak peek for the flash uh behind the scenes looks at aquaman and the lost kingdom and shazam fury of the gods uh, along with a bunch of TV stuff, uh, looks at uh, the Peacemaker series, 
uh, limited DMZ series that's coming out. Uh, looks at the new animated series, uh, Aquaman, King of Atlantis, Batman, Cape Crusader, and the next season of Young Justice. Uh, Dylan, is is this a good move for DC? Having this kind of... Obviously, they've got a big enough pool of content for them to warrant a massive digital event. It was really good last year, so I don't know no complaints about it coming back for another year. Like between the movie TV stuff they showed off last year and the the game stuff, which you know it's just more of that this year. It was really good, and I like how they did it. You know, they had one night, two night. They just sort of replayed it, and you could, if you missed it, you could watch it again. And um, the way it was sort of spread out, I liked it. So I'm keen. I'm keen to find out most of the stuff. The thing I'm most excited about is just the Batman trailer. That's certainly top of my list that's like one of my most anticipated movies coming up next year so very excited to see that um and then i don't know i don't really fucking care about aquaman at this stage to be completely honest but oh <laughs> <laughs> uh the rest i'm, I'm down for and even some animated stuff you know i i watch every now and then I, I pick one of those animated ones to watch even though at one stage i'd watched all of them i kind of fell off but um yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to see some more content. Obviously, you know, we can get a first idea of what that Flash movie is going to look like and what <laughs> what is actually happening, who's in it. Uh, I feel like that would be a pretty good get. But yeah, if we get another uh, in-depth look at the Batman, uh, that'd be pretty cool as well. As I think Shazam's finished shooting as well, so I would be surprised. They did. Um, what's his fuck? The director tweeted out a thing that they're saying they finished shooting or rap production yeah. so and black adam as well i believe is finished as well so uh we'd be surprised if we see bits and pieces of that so yeah uh dc fandom is set to be uh take place october 16th so not far away at all um yeah look forward to all that good dc content again that's pretty i'm i'm keen to see also a trailer for peacemaker like especially after suicide squad i'm like what is that even going to entail? What is that even going to be? <laughs> Having just rewatched the Suicide Squad, yes, I'm very keen to see a trailer for <laughs> Peacemaker. Alright. Uh, let's move into some thumbs for trailers, our segment in which we give thumb ratings to trailers. Uh, and of course, you can check the show notes below or the episode up on Explosion.com to find all the links to the different trailers. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is Wheel of Time, the new Amazon Prime series based on the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan, developed by Rafe Jukins, uh, starring Grossman Pike, Joshua uh, Stradowski, Marcus Rutherford, Zoe Robbins, Barney Harris, Madeline Madden, Daniel Haney, Rain, I want to say, <laughs> a member of a magical organization takes five young people on a journey believing that one of them might be the reinc- reincarnation of the dragon. Powerful individual prophesies to save the world or destroy it. Uh, Dylan, what do you think of The Wheel of Time? Um, I've heard of these books, right? Yes. Um, they're very famous. I think there's like 26 billion of them or something. Um, so I know, I know of the franchise. I knew nothing about it. And this trailer didn't really help explain what the fuck is going on. But it was a really cool trailer, so double thumbs up. 
I'm excited to at least check out the pilot episode, decide if it's just a cool trailer and a shit show. But everyone really looks really good. Rosamund Pike is quite, quite a get for, I think, a show like this. I didn't know she was... I don't know. She's, but seeing her in something like this, I think, adds a bit of cre- credence to, to it or something. But um, everyone at the moment is just trying to... The other thing I was thinking watching is, like, everyone's just trying to get a, all the Game of Thrones likes or the replacement or... No one's yet to hit the Game of Thrones replacement buzz. And I feel like a lot of these shows is just trying to be the Game of Thrones replacement well, buzz. Like, I think we're going to get a lot of them in the next 12 months. Like, they finally... Well, obviously they knew they were going to finish up three years ago. And, you know, it's taken them a while for them to make it on top of COVID. Uh, so, you know, I think maybe we'll start to see. Obviously, uh, this one plus uh, Lord of the Rings the big mm. competitors and then of course we've got the game of thrones actual prequels which will see if they could succeed they're not happening where else uh i can't think of any other of these massive fantasy shows that are set to but they keep coming like i mean they had like shadow and bone on netflix and that kind of stuff more ya kind of stuff um yeah I, I... it's not even like a sword and shields and fantasy thing it's just massive universe with like a lot of characters that makes me feel like it's trying to go for that game of thrones audience mm. or spot but yeah double thumbs up i'm keen don't know what the hell was happening but it was a good trailer <laughs> uh it didn't really sell it for me um i don't know i don't think they gave enough information or gave enough visuals or anything like to get me invested i think it's going to be a one up one down trailer for me but uh i'm definitely keen for more and i'm definitely going to check it out when it drops on amazon prime uh which it will on november 19th so uh yeah i just don't think like they barely gave you anything to really grasp on other than a setting roseman pike and a bunch of kids i don't know you know so yeah, there was very very little to get me invested in this trailer, I think. So, all right, uh, next one, Doogie Kamaloa, MD. <laughs> uh, the new series uh, that's a su- su- spiritual successor to Doogie Hauser, um, starring Peyton Elizabeth Lee, Kathleen Rose Perkins, Jeffrey ba- Bower Chapman, Jason Scott Lee, and Ronnie Chang. Set in modern day Hawaii, Doogie Kamala MD blows Lalea Doogie Kamaloa, uh, a 16 year old prodigy juggling a budding medical career and a life as a teenager with the support of her caring and comical Ohana and friends. Lalea is determined to make the most of her teenage years and forge her own path. Dylan, what do you think of this trailer? Uh, Ray Chang was cool, hey. <laughs> yeah. Shout outs. <laughs> Um, one up, one down for that. Otherwise, I would have been like, "Now, nah, fuck this shit." Um, this is definitely not a Dylan show at all. I, it's of, it's a kid show. Doogie House is the show that I have no care for at all because I didn't grow up with that being a, a thing I was watching. Um, even though I know of it, I, I hate that this is a spiritual successor in which the trailer makes sure to mention characters being like, "Oh, she's like Doogie House of that show or whatever." I was like, "Come on, that's a bit corny. Let's just just you didn't need to do that." That felt weird to me but um and also i just don't like shows set during hospitals 
Oh, I like watching hospital shows. Um, I just don't like hospitals. They, I like hospitals in, in their horror movies when they're meant to be scary. <laughs> I don't like watching shows where hospitals are just sort of workplaces where normal oh, people work. Okay. They're not. They're freaky. I don't, I don't like, like it. Medical it's dramas like, at all. I hate medical dramas. Um, I couldn't even watch Scrubs. It, uh, that's why I never got into <gasps> Scrubs. I don't want to watch it. So, wow, um, what a revelation! <laughs> I'm not watching it. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's one up, one down for me. I thought this was going to maybe be a bit uh, set at an older demographic. Would be my best way of summing it up. It definitely feels a lot more teeny than I was expecting it to. It's just a reboot, but they're mentioning an old show for some reason. But I'm like, you're targeting a new audience. Just basically, just make it a, a reboot. Like, why bother? I, I mean, just pretend just, it's a show. They're just, just using pretend it's the a same new show. Premise. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But like, it's just. Like, you're not targeting adults with this who watch the old because ones. Because everything needs to be based on something, so, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'll am i probably check out the first episode or two. Like, it seems like she's got an interesting family. Like, her father seems like an interesting character. You know, I need to watch everything Rooney Chang's in. Uh, yeah, and, you know, as long as there's not this weird, too much of this weird teen drama, it feels like. Uh, I will say... The opening of her saving a dude on the beach with like makeshift things definitely feels like the first episode of The Good Doctor, which I watched a couple of years ago. Uh, almost moment for moment, exactly the same. It's kind of crazy. Uh, you know what else I will say? Yes. Brian Chang has entered a, uh, a short list of people who, within Explosion Network lore, is sort of becoming his own character where. <laughs> We like for people who don't even know who he is or don't have never watched anything he's in, don't know who the hell we're talking about half the time. But like anything he's in, even if it's a bit part, we're like shout outs Ryan Chang, you know. Like it's just like like that. The, was that th- three four seconds he's in Godzilla, um, Godzilla or whatever? <laughs> like yeah, shout out Ryan Chang. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's gotten a lot of work. You know, I think all these things filming in Australia really helped. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Alright, uh, next trailer, uh, Belfast, this is a film directed by Kenneth Branagh, uh, starring Katarana, Balfi, Judy Dench, Jamie Dolmans, Kieran Hines, Colin Morgan, and newcomer Jude Hill, uh, Belfast is a personal and joyful story about the power of memory set in late 1960s North Island. At the centre of the film is Buddy, a young boy on the cusp of adolescence, whose life is filled with familiar love and childhood hijinks and a blossoming romance. Yet, with his beloved hometown caught up in increasing turmoil, his family faces a momentous choice. Hope the conflict will pass or leave everything they know behind for a new life. Uh, so this is currently premiering over at Telluride Film Festival over in America. Uh, I think there's like three different film festivals currently uh, going on at time of recording. Uh, so you know a lot of reviews for different stuff that could potentially be stuff we talk about uh, awards wise uh, currently showing up those three festivals uh, I thought this was a really good trailer I thought uh, obviously uh, set New Island uh, kind of in that weird period of, I don't know the exact history of that the uh, some sort of uh yeah, obviously I don't know much about Irish history. <laughs> I knew there was some kind of like Protestant Catholic uh, disagreement. <laughs> uh, disagreement is probably not a good word, but you know, 
Uh, the north versus south. Yeah, there was definitely conflict at the time. Uh, but yeah, kind of an interesting look at uh, that kind of thing. Obviously, it's filmed in black and white. Uh, I think it looks very pretty, you know, and it's, you know, it, I don't know, just the characters and kind of the dialogue kind of drew me in. Uh, so I'm going to give this trailer two thumbs up. Uh, Dylan, what do you think of Belfast? I really, really liked it. It has beautiful black and white cinematography, and I, that's sort of what grabbed me from the outset of the trailer. And then um, I was getting into the story. I quite enjoy... I've, I've watched a lot set during this time period, weirdly, the more the more I sort of think about it. I've actually watched oh, a lot yeah, of movies and TV big, shows. Yeah, England guy. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, kind of I mean, that that's that is one... Yeah, one but i mean i've watched a lot of other shows and stuff that's i don't know i was the more i was realizing when i was watching this i'm like really watch a lot um so like it's a period that interests me weirdly i guess i don't know why um but yeah it looks it looks really good acting looks great great cast kenneth brenner i enjoy him more when he's doing movies like this compared to some of the more fantastical or like bigger sort of Hollywood movies. He just does a lot better when he's not trying to direct those sorts of things and he's just doing more down-to-earth, human-focused stories, I guess. So, um, yeah, double thumbs up. I really did enjoy this trailer. I'd never heard of this movie. I didn't know this was Branagh's upcoming project. I wasn't aware of what he was working on. So I went into this. It's a Kenneth kind of Branagh film. I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. And then they got me. So double thumbs up. Uh, so this one is set to release in Australian cinemas January 13th. Uh, all right, so next up. It's too far away. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's not up for our award contention, so. 2020. Double thumbs down. Dead to me. <laughs> all right, next up. Mayor of Kingstown, created by Taylor Sheridan and Hugh Dillon, starring Jeremy Renner, Diane Weist, Emma Laird, Derek Webster, Taylor Hanley, Carl Chandler, and Aidan Gillen. The McCluskey family are powerbrokers in Kingston, Michigan, where the business of incarceration is the only thriving industry. Uh, kind of bring this one up because, you know, created by Tara Sheridan, who uh, has a very good screenwriting history, uh, probably best known for... Uh, what's the... Which one? The Dennis Villeneuve one. Sicario. Sicario, that's it. Uh, but also d- did Hell or High Water uh, and Wind River, and I believe created Yellowstone. Uh, yes. But yeah, uh, I thought, you know, it looks interesting, got a good cast. Joe Child Candler looks really good. Jerry Moreno looks really good. Uh, kind of obviously set in this, uh, around this jail, I guess. Like, that's kind of something I hadn't seen before. Like, well, yeah. Like a ba- a town where the center point is this correctional facility. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it. It's got some interesting things. The only thing holding it back, uh, as a trailer, I think it's a. I'm going to keep it one up, one down. But the thing that will hold it back from me actually check it out. It's on Paramount Plus, <laughs> and <laughs> don't know if I'm quite ready to invest in. Another streaming service right now. Uh, Dylan. Where's this out? This comes out... Uh, November 14th. 
Okay, so November, I'm getting Paramount Plus because I will get it to to check this out. <laughs> um, so I guess that's that is a big plus to it because of course any new Ooh. streaming service needs something to make people want to spend money to watch it. So so far, I've not cared for Paramount Plus. This is I will definitely get this. Obviously, that's for the Taylor Sheridan thing, like just wanting to check out his new project and the cast is really good and the the the, the story and the setting and all that seems really interesting. Um, the trailer, I'll give one up, one down. Like, it got me interested, but I was also just like, I didn't get a good idea about what the actual point was, like, other than it being like, prison, crime, family, money, small town. Like, I got the, I got like the chess pieces of what's happening, but I'm like, what is the actual, what are you actually trying to stay in this show? Like, what is, what are we actually talking about? Because there's lots of different angles you can take with this. You can like go down a road of, you know, these, these correctional facilities and small towns are often where a lot of people work. And for that, that means that the cops are basically employed to make sure that there's prisoners coming in often. Yeah. Let's go arrest some motherfuckers. Like, is that the direction we're going or like what, you know what I mean? Like there's lots of things, but um, either way, I'm keen to watch it and I will be, getting paramount plus to at least check out the first episode of this so or i'll get my free first week and then i'll cancel it because it's a shit show i don't know let's see how we go let's see how it goes absolutely uh last trailer red notice directed by ross and marshall thurber starring dwayne johnson ryan reynolds gal gadot uh in the world of international crime an interpol agent attempts to hunt down and capture the world's most wanted art thief uh, really cool that they're doing Hobbs and Ryan Reynolds chasing down Wonder Woman. Uh, alternate Wonder Woman who's uh, trying to steal art pieces to put in actual museums. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a fine trailer. You know, it, it definitely feels like it's a combination of all the shticks uh, in one film. Uh, you know, the collaborations that uh, Ross and Marshall Thurber has done with uh, The Rock has not been the most fruitful in my opinion Skyscraper was a dumb <laughs> overlong film um, Central Intelligence was fine uh, but you know it, uh, it being on Netflix makes it an easier option to watch but yeah this is a one up one down for me uh what about you, Dylan? Double thumbs down. I hated this. Well, <laughs> this was like just—it's just like Ryan Reynolds being Ryan Reynolds and Dwayne Johnson being Dwayne Johnson, and then Gal Gadot being Gal Gadot. I guess I—I I don't, I, I don't know. Like I was just like, what is this? Like, is this a movie or is this just like a, a meme? You know, like I just really didn't. It feels like a search engine algorithm put this movie together. Yeah, it just just feel like a robot made it. It was like, what are some of the most popular actors? And what are the roles that make them the most popular? Can we just have them, like, sort of play those? And I was like, why don't fuck this movie? I don't care. (laughs) All right. Double thumbs down. Get out of here. I don't care for this. No offense. I like watching these people in other things. But this trailer just seemed like... This was like, yeah, just fucking just, this was just a movie vomit this was just squished together pieces of a puzzle just fucking let's try and make something that that 
fucking people want to watch. Now get out of here. Shit. All right. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I guess if you do want to see it, it's coming to Netflix November twelfth. Uh, so look forward to that. All right. One out of ten. That's my review. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's wrap up this week's episode with our what do you want to watch top three definitely in the top three uh so in honor of the shang chi uh the legend of the ten rings album inspired music inspired by the movie uh much in the vein that they did with the black panther album uh this week we're doing top three movie soundtrack albums so any album that you can buy uh, that's related to a movie is eligible. <laughs> uh, we'll say I've been listening to that Shang-Chi album. Pretty good. It's, like, it's very good. I hope this is maybe a thing they do going forward. Or is it going to be only exclusively to uh, culturally significant debuts of characters? <laughs> that's it. So I don't know who. what other demographic. I guess a Latin superhero. They'll do one. <laughs> Miss Miss Marvel, yeah, uh, Islamic, yeah. Do you want to be inspired go. by that? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Middle Eastern, yeah. <laughs> so weird. Uh, Dylan, what's your number three? Uh, my number three is Pulp Fiction, the soundtrack for the movie that's on, directed by Quentin Tarantino. Um, I'm gonna be honest. I nearly just wanted to pick old Quentin Tarantino things, so we'll just see how we go. But I mean. There's just Quentin Tarantino writes his movies around the songs and he puts them in the script and they work so well in the movie and then they make the scenes work and then you listen to the songs and play them over and over. In high school, all I basically did was either listen to a lot of like metal music and then listen to Quentin Tarantino movie soundtracks on repeat. So, um, like the only CDs I owned for a while was just all Quentin Tarantino movie soundtracks. So, all these songs, I just relate them to Pulp Fiction. You get the the voice. Uh, I love the the full soundtracks where they work in the the clips. I love that. I don't wish they should they should bring that back more for things. Quite enjoy that. You know, like the little the clips from the movie. Like the soundtrack starts with "None of you motherfuckers move." This is like um, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. Have you seen Pulp Fiction? Yes, it's been a while, okay. but. Fucking hell. Like the robbery with Tim Roth at the start like starts with that and then it gets into the first song. Like and there's like a couple other clips. You know, like clips from the thing, like the whole like Zed's dead, baby. Like that's just like a thing cut cut like interlude between the, the songs and stuff. So and Tarantino does that in all his albums, so quite enjoy that. But anyway, yeah, pop fiction. Yeah, okay. Uh my number three. It's gotta be Space Jam. It's like well, Does it? <laughs> it does. Uh one of the like highest selling soundtracks ever, you know, songs like "Fly Like an Eagle," "I Believe I Can Fly," "Kid Pie," "You I Will," uh, the, the the Bugs Bunny song "Buggin'," <laughs> "Basketball Jones," <laughs> like just the Space Jam theme song is like so many tracks that are like as soon as they come on, I like bob my head and like remember being this stupid eight-year-old kid loving that movie not knowing any of the faults not caring what r kelly would do like 
you know, believing I could fly, you know. Uh, I'm pretty sure I own this soundtrack, like, on CD. Uh, and probably played it a lot on, like, I'm pretty sure I, like, had a stereo in my room, like, one of those CD boomboxes or whatever. You know, and just listen to it while doing homework on repeat, so. Uh, yeah, I had to put this on my list. Dylan, what's your number two? So I- Oh, okay. Side note, my, when I was younger, my parents got me the soundtrack for Goldmember, but they wouldn't let me go to the cinema and watch the movie. I felt like it was the ultimate fuck you to me. <laughs> 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 so my introduction to Austin Powers franchise was listening to the soundtrack on repeat, but never having any context. <laughs> uh, my number two is Black Panther, the album music from Inspired by. Uh, so, you know, like Kendrick Lamar was the... I guess the lead producer or whatever, and he's on the majority of the songs, and but there's a bunch of other people, of course. Um, Banger of a soundtrack. It was my favorite album that year, obviously. Awesome movie, but the soundtrack was even better. Um, it's just generally a great album. That's, like, even aside, like, take it out of the movie context, it's just full of really, really good songs. Like, just a great compilation album with various artists with, like, a lead sort of theme, I guess, or similar sound structure or whatever else and yeah it's fantastic it's the better version of the shang chi one i'm sorry <laughs> like it's, it, won't, it won't feed out can't beat old kendrick i'm sorry yeah the, you know it's a, it's a high bar uh my number two spider-man into the spider-verse <laughs> probably seeing a running theme of like movies i like but you know that soundtrack's pretty fantastic you know, Post Malone doing Sunflower, uh, and then, you know, the, the What's Up Danger, obviously, uh, the big two tracks, but then other songs like, uh, Invincible by Amine, uh, <laughs> Elevate, I really enjoy, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, even Familiar and Start a Riot, they're, you know, lots of tracks that I enjoyed on that album. So, uh, that one was one that was definitely on repeat constantly after the movie came out. <laughs> uh, I feel like everybody was listening to What's Up Danger going constantly. What's Up Danger? Yeah. Yeah. So, that's my number two. Dylan, what's your number one? Well, no, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I like. <laughs> I, I I've made a decision not to put La La Land on this list, but you you motherfuckers know I could, <laughs> but I decided not to. Uh, so my number one is actually just another Tarantino soundtrack, uh, Reservoir Dogs. So my favorite Tarantino film, um, the one that that I, I was obsessed with as a kid, and then I was obsessed with the soundtrack as well. Um, I would edit videos to the songs from this. I would re-edit trailers when I was, like, learning editing programs. Um, You know, like, anytime someone's moving in slow motion and, like, just... You can just imagine the camera sideways watching them walk down the street and a little green bag starts playing and, like, all these, like... All the songs on this just, just make me think of the movie and... I still have them. I still listen to this. <laughs> I still listen. This is probably my most listened to Tarantino uh, soundtrack. So, like, and hooked on a feeling. I want to try and put this. Want to try, you motherfuckers out there want to be like, oh, Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Bloody Reservoir Dogs. Get the hell out of here. 
So, yeah. <laughs> you fools. All right. My number one, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Uh, another soundtrack that I had constant repeat. Of course, it's got the cool Sex but Bomb song throughout the soundtrack, but uh, a lot of bands like Metric, uh, Broken Social Scene, uh, T-Rex, Blue, uh, Blue Tones, uh, bands that I kind of explored further because of the album and the music in it. Uh, pretty sure I listened through the album before I saw the movie, like just because I was so so much so anticipated. And then I watched the film, and it's like, oh, that's where that song is. It played for like ten seconds in the actual movie. It was on the soundtrack, uh, and that kind of thing, which maybe took me out of the film a little bit. But uh, you know, one of my favorite films, great soundtrack. Uh, yeah, I'm probably gonna listen to it later. Because it's been a while, so uh, yeah. All right, let us know what your top three movie soundtrack albums are, or recommendations for further top threes by going to explosion.com/slash Twitter, letting us know on Twitter, or you can jump to Discord at explosion.com/slash Discord. Uh, leave what do you want to watch a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser, or on Twitter, or just tell people about the show. About all the regular episodes, all the crazy spoiler casts we do. Uh, and, you know, you can tell people about all new Mama Cast as well. And check out our spoiler cast again of Shang-Chi over there. And if you like this episode and thought it was worth a dollar, head on over to our Kofi page at explosion.com slash support and buy us a coffee. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, keep watching stuff, I guess. <laughs>